Hello, this is Jeff Sachs with another edition of Atid's Jewish Educators Book Club. One of the great benefits of my job as director of Atid is that I get to work in the office next door to Dr. Yoel Finkelman, our director of research and projects. And one of the great advantages of that, besides his warm friendship, is that from time to time I go in and I look at the books that are on his bookshelf and I, uh, I, I learn a lot of things. And recently I found a book with the following titles. Rapture Ready, Adventures in the Parallel Universe of Christian Pop Culture by an author named Daniel Radosh, R-A-D-O-S-H. Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lies of American Teenagers by Christian Smith. And the book deals largely with issues centered in the Christian population. We just, of course, uh, we in the United States, of course, they, they just went through a, a very interesting election. And one of the interesting things, of course, is always the, the presence of uh, the evangelical voice in American, in American culture. And I think the statistics say that almost one in, one in four Americans considers themselves an evangelical or, or born-again Christian. So my question to Dr. Finkelman was, what's a nice Jewish boy like you reading all these books about, uh, Jewish, about Christian adolescence, about Christian education about Catholic education, uh, about, uh, about uh, Christian popular culture, and of course my question was, uh, what do we in Jewish education have to learn from this really rather large and impressive body of academic research literature on Christian education in the United States? Dr. Finkelman, tell us a little bit about your rather eclectic uh, bookshelf in this regard. So I, I don't have a, uh, anything like a command of the Christian education literature. Um, it's more reading a little bit here, reading a little bit there. Um, but I am convinced that um, it's probably a mistake for the Jewish community to assume that its educational concerns and its social concerns and the concerns of its student body are inherently radically different from that of religious kids in America. I think there's every reason to suspect that Jewish kids are, in many respects, certainly not in all respects, but in many respects, quite similar. They share some of the same taste in music, they share some of the share interests, they share some of the same concerns, they wear the same kinds of clothing often. In some ways, they're very, very similar. American teenagers are American teenagers. And, uh, and that's true of our Jewish students, it's true of Christian students, and sometimes looking at things from a non-Jewish perspective can give us a mirror into what's happening in the Jewish community and can help us see things that we've kind of taken for granted, um, identify things that we see as normal and perhaps consider that they're not necessarily that way, see ways in which American Jewish uh, uh, students and teachers behave and think about how that might be different or how that might be similar, what things have worked in the Christian community, what things haven't. When you say worked, what do you mean? Um, well, uh, one of the things that, uh, that I also took a look at recently was the documentary Jesus Camp, um, which, uh, which is a documentary based on the lives of, uh, of two uh, campers uh, in a Pentecostal um, uh, summer camp, uh, which was nominated for uh, an Academy Award, and uh, in 2007. It's, a, it's an interesting film. If you if 
you Google Jesus Camp, uh, spelled exactly as you'd imagined it's spelled, you'll find a website about it, plus information on the Wikipedia. But I believe that uh, as of my most recent Googling, you can watch either the whole movie or large segments of it on, on YouTube. Uh, you can watch this documentary on YouTube. So, so there, you know, the, the, the movie is polemical. There's no doubt about it. The movie is not fond of Pentecostals. It's not fond of their camps, not fond of their politics. Um, uh, and it's really a polemical movie. Um, and in some ways, I think that's a certain advantage because it's easy to look at this critique of the way in which the camp directors are manipulating the kids and in which they're using emotional tools and, and in which they're trying to draw the kids into this collective. So we're doing some of the same things. But it's not, and it's not just about summer camp, it's also about the youth movement in the churches during the, mm-hmm. during the, uh, during the year. Um, and, and so in part, um, it's, it's specifically the critical attitude of the movie that makes me look at this and say, okay, what's happening in Jewish summer camps? Of course we want them to have an emotional experience. Of of course we want them to identify with the group. Of course we want them to have a good time. In the process we want to impart messages that we consider important. We want to get them enthusiastic about the stuff that we do. So looking at one example of the way in which that is deemed manipulative, dangerous, um, unfair to the kids. Um, So where's the line? Uh, My experience is that that Orthodox education, for the most part, does not cross that line, um, with certain exceptions, but for the most part does not cross that line. But getting articulate about that line is, is helpful. I just wanted to play a clip uh, from, uh, from the film. It shows a scene in which this, uh, this uh, youth minister uh, by the name of uh, Becky, Becky Fisher, who's the, the, the centerpiece of the movie, the movie kind of revolves around her attempt to... Uh, I to put into our language, I'd say, to be Makarev uh, uh, children. And some of them are really very young children. These aren't t- teenagers. These are, you know, middle school, middle school kids um, to, uh, to I- accept, uh, accept uh, what does she call them? Oh, Jesus. To accept Jesus as their, as their Lord, Afar uh, Lepiha. And... Um, and, and the manner in which this is done. And there's a scene here which, well, I'll, I'll leave it to the listener to determine if it sounds, uh, you know, similar to anything you yourself may have experienced. So here she is. It seems to be that she's giving some kind of, some kind of a sermon, or maybe she's speaking at a shalashudas, so I'm not uh, <laughs> certain. Is there anyone in here that believes that God can do anything?
boys and girls can change the world? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. I need you to get serious, serious with God. Say, God, I'm here to be trained. I'm here for an education. I'm willing, God. I'll do what you want me to do. Well, and then it kind of goes on on from there. Now, now we watch this, and it's both... Uh, well, you know, it's it's it, well, it's kind of like watching a train wreck. This this film, uh, because it's it's so disturbing, but at the same time, it's so it's so compelling to watch. It's so it's so uh, so fascinating to watch these 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 kinds of educational methods at work. Methods which we which we and this is just one clip. That you, you really have to watch the whole the whole documentary to get a, a larger sense of it. But at the same time, of course, we become a little self-aware of the question that you raised. Are, are we guilty, obviously, towards different purposes, of using types of manipulation uh, in the name of so, a higher good? So my sense is that the devil is in the details. Pardon the expression. Uh, yes, pardon the expression. But there's definitely... It, it can't be true... Um, that emotion is out of bounds in religious education, that singing is out of bounds in religious education, that an educator's passion is out of bounds in religious education. Um, uh, how old are the kids? How much is there a cognitive and intellectual component that goes along with it? To what extent are we open to or do we shut down uh, questioning counter voices? Uh, to what extent are we doing the things that the parent body wants us to do and to what extent are we undermining the things that the parent body wants us to do? Um, when are we sens- how are we sensitive and in what ways to the signs of mitsukat, the signs of trouble that are coming from students? Again, uh, the topic I don't think is abuse. Obviously, abuse is really bad news. But it's really a question of, of gaining a sensitivity to the uh, the borders, how, com- how close we come to the borders. I'd also take it a step further. The very fact that this film is describing primarily, it's focused primarily on a camp experience. So, to the best of my knowledge, traditional Jews did not do summer camps. You don't have a lot of sources in, in, from the Jewish in, all ages, right? Yeah. In, in the shtetl in Poland, they didn't have a summer camp. And, in, and, and, you know, Rambam was not a camp director. So, we have kind of adopted the tools that middle-class, suburban modernity have handed us. Uh, and just like the Christians around us, we realize that these are powerful educational experiences, powerful formative experiences. In that sense, we're awfully similar to... Avichai conducted a, uh, a small piece of research a number of years ago about the impact of Jewish summer camping. I'm pretty sure that you can get that from their... Uh, you know, from their website, from the Avichai website, which, you know, indicated, of course, that summer camping has a very, a very positive and, and profound It can be a real immersion experience. Right. It can really sink into right. a, right. an environment right. um, in which kind of surrounded by Jewish stuff. Right. Seymour Fox, the late Seymour Fox, professor of education here at the Hebrew University, wrote a piece on Camp Ramah, um, in America as a case study for what what it looks like when you have an institution which is really vision guided. Now it, it may not have just been by coincidence that the incident the case 
<coughs> under, under, <coughs> under investigation is a, is a summer camp uh, because in some ways it's in some ways it's a little easier the, the, the gap between what you want to accomplish and accomplishing it has may have fewer impediments than than we're faced with within the four walls of conventional schooling. There's a, that's, that's a little bit off of our off of our topics. I want to bring the discussion back to back to uh, the work by Smith, Soul Searching. Of the three the three topics at hand, um, uh, the the book by Radosh on on uh, on Christian pop culture and this movie that we just mentioned, those are, as you mentioned, they're polemical, meaning they come to it with a, you know, with a slant, with a critical slant at that. Um, Soul searching is the more objective, quote unquote, academic, academic work. So first of all, just tell me a little bit about this book and, and its findings and the research that. Uh um, well, the book is uh, is um, based on. Uh, a massive, uh, a massive study, thousands of questionnaires, hundreds of interviews uh, that were conducted uh, systematically throughout the United States among um, high school students. Some of them devoutly religious, some of them devoutly atheist, and uh, every position in between. Um, and the idea was to give both a quantitative and qualitative picture of what kinds of things occupy. Um, teenagers in terms of their religious and spiritual lives. Um, and I think that's also a model where the Orthodox community can use what's happening outside the Jewish community um, as a lens to examination. I'm not familiar with anything similar uh, um, uh, on, uh, in, a, in a Jewish sense. Um, that is to say, there have recently been uh, a couple of particularly topically based um, you know, more narrowly defined uh, um, things. Uh, there's Schellenberger's work on year in Israel programs that was recently published by uh, by Ashar Books, which we discussed in our last episode of uh, the Jewish Educator Book Forum. Okay, um, and there is uh, you know Scott Goldberg's uh, research on literacy education. He as Scott Goldberg from Yeshiva University. Um, and well, I understand that he's in the process of beginning doing something similar to soul searching, um, meaning survey data of students in Orthodox schools. What do they believe? What do they do? Um, uh, how do they use their time? What do they think of Torah? What do they think of mitzvot? What do they think of their teachers? What do they think of general studies? What do they think of uh, you know their anticipated futures into college? Um, and and um, again, I think particularly in the case of Smith, he does not deal with the devout Jewish population. Interestingly, in his findings, maybe not entirely surprisingly, of all the different religious groups, um, uh, Jews were the least religiously influenced and the least Jewish teenagers were the least religious, in quotes, um, uh, the least likely to be religiously passionate, the least likely to be religiously uh, involved. Um, and, uh, but I don't think that that reflects the subgroup of education, uh, Jewish education that's happening in day schools and yeshiva high schools and community right. schools. The sample may have been skewed. This, that's not, it's our population, whoever we is, I don't know, the, what I consider the Jewish education day school constituency probably has a very different uh, makeup, but the very idea that we start asking these questions in some kind of objective fashion 
for the most part, is not something that, uh, that at least the Orthodox community has spent a great deal of time on. If we were to conduct such a study, what do you think we would find? What do you think that, what, what are the things that we know about ourselves that would be confirmed? And what are you guessing, or what would you guess if you'd venture a guess? What do you think the surprises would be? Well, what, one of your contentions, Dr. Finkelman, uh, is that we don't know enough about ourselves and that research, uh, you know, research into the field is a way of doing a kind of taking the community's temperature and uh, the educational community's temperature that would point us in, in, different, in different directions or it would certainly, um, it would certainly reassure us that uh, some of the methods and, and directions that we're, we've chosen are, are correct. So uh, what do you well, think we find? Obviously, at some level, it's premature to try to answer that question in advance and yeah, probably know what the surprises are afterwards. But I would point you know, to one thing that Smith emphasizes in Soul Searching, which is the relationship between parents, parent religiosity, and, uh, and teen religiosity. The, in, the significance that, number one, uh, that the most likely predictor of a youth's religiosity is parents, but that that is not exclusively the case, that there are all kinds of factors that can go in, and that the quality of the parents' relationship with the teens is a good predictor of the ability of the parents to transmit religious values to the yeah. next generation. So, I, my sense is that in the discussion of Jewish education, which is mostly happening among, or the conversation that's happening among professional educators is school-centered. Um, there's an assumption that it is the responsibility of the school to produce a certain product, and schools stand in relationship to the parent body, but I don't think we give anywhere nearly enough weight um, as educators to the way in which we are both confined and empowered by where the parents are at and by the student's relationship to parents. Well, this actually is a piece of data that we do have a little bit of, or this is a topic that we do have a little bit of data in, in work that you and a group of ATIT fellows conducted here a couple of years ago, generally around the topic of Jewish thought and the influences, the, the influences on Jewish teenagers here, the Datilu, the religious Zionist community here in, in Jerusalem area, on what are the things that impact on the student's identity formation and, and religious worldview and, and, uh, and, and outlook, we found that the curriculum plays less of a role than we think. And that students said over and over again that their parents are the biggest and most significant role models, even where they disagreed with parents. Uh, I've gone in a different direction. As a parent, that was that was a, a, a nice surprise. <laughs> As a parent, it was a very nice surprise. Um, you know, the, the work that we did was was preliminary, and I think raises a bunch of issues in terms of food for thought. Um, uh, you know, I I would have been interested had we had a significant number of our respondees talk about uh, significant tension with parents, which definitely comes out in uh, in Smith's book. Yeah. Um, another issue that comes up, which is also, I think, related to the Jesus Camp movie and also to Daniel Radish's uh, study of Christian popular culture, is the way in which different forces coming from different areas of the, of the youth's life reinforce one another. Um, uh, statements of depth of belief are not going to be adequate predictors of religious practice if you don't take into account how much 
the kids are being supported by youth groups, by regular uh, attendance at churches and religious services, by friends who are devoutly religious. Um, so in part, of course, I think this is intuitive. You know, anybody who knows a Jewish school understands that the, quote, more religious kids tend to hang out together and the less religious kids tend to hang out together and the more religious kids are more likely to end up in, um, you know, in synagogue youth groups. Um, there's a certain intuitive element. I'm not sure that Jewish education is coordinated enough to take the lesson of the need to kind of triangulate, of see different institutions work together, of see the schools and the communities and the parents and the synagogues and the youth groups all working together in a way to bring kids together. If, if anything, I think my impression is that, um, that day schools in America, or at least modern Orthodox day schools in America, over the past 10 or 15 years uh, have begun to adopt some of the methods of NCSY and B'nai Kiva and, and the youth groups in-house so that, um, you know, Shabbatonim and seminars and informal education and, and all of those things that used to be the purview of the youth groups uh, are now much more uh, based in the, in the schools um, in a way that they, that they weren't uh, because the schools saw that, you know, the kids that went off to the to the SNF or to the to the NCSY chapter or to the to the to the Shabbaton or to the Yarkikala or to things like that, it had a very very positive effect, and they didn't want to. Well, I, I don't know exactly how it worked, but in other words, the schools didn't want to abandon that realm to to outsource it, as it were, and they started doing it in-house. So you have now in schools, every school, most schools have an in-house student activities coordinator and. Uh, and uh, it functions more like, uh, in, in some ways, in some ways it functions more like, uh, there are people on the staff that function more like uh, like a madrichim and, and chapter advisors than like teachers. Although, of course, you also have teachers. The, the, so the critic would say, okay, then we're, uh, then we're insourcing a lot of the informal education. But it's not a critique, it's an observation. Um, you know, the critic is going to say, well, wouldn't it be better if the school could focus on education. That way the kids would not, the schools would not be using their limited resources for Shabbatonim and for youth activities. Let the youth groups do that. Can we find a way of bringing the kids? I, I mean, it's a dilemma. I said I don't know the, uh, the solution. This other work, Rapture Ready, uh, by Daniel Radish, uh, published by Scribner. Uh, Radish himself admits to being a nice Jewish boy who got caught up in this uh, work of, uh, of doing a... Uh, doing a, uh, uh, an analysis of Christian Pablo, what he calls the parallel universe. That he, he, he's a nice Jewish boy from New York, I think he says in the introduction, and mm -hmm. through, uh, through uh, you know, a friend of a friend or a marriage of a marriage, he ends up in, you know, some Christian rock concert, Christian rock concert you know, with a bunch of, you know, good old, you know, and some, it's like the blue state boy ending up in the red state uh, <laughs> pop culture. Um, and, uh, and he describes this parallel universe. Now, it all looks so familiar to him, but yet it's all so foreign. Um, and, and I guess our assumption is that, that we also, uh, or at least the you know, students and, and teenagers and adolescents that we interact with in the Orthodox Jewish world, also somehow, well, they're just like all other American teenagers, 
um, or here in Israel, they're just like all other Israeli teenagers, but yet somehow not exactly. Could you describe that? Yeah, so he's, what he's getting at, and I think this also relates to the idea of, of kids getting religion from lots of different sources, um, not even getting, but kids associating with religion from lots of different places, in camps and schools and homes, uh, in music, um, etc. So he calls it a parallel universe because one of the things that Christian popular culture does is to take um, any given cultural um, uh, event or, or artifact that secular culture can produce and say, well, let's have a Christian version. Because we don't want them you know, we don't want them watching, uh, uh, listening to that really bad, uh, you know, hypersexualized music. Let's give them something Christian that um, that plays the same function, except is a little more wholesome and a little more holy. Um, he points to a certain paradox in that and says, uh, "Yeah," and then you end up importing into your, you know, Christian community uh, all kinds of schmutz from the outside because if you want to produce, uh, you know. Um, uh, if you want to have a, uh, a skateboarding ministry, so you actually have to be into skateboarding, which you may not be from an ideal perspective. So I think anybody who runs around in, in, you know, in the Jewish community knows that that exists. Right. We try to create music. We try to create concerts. We try to create, um, even here in Israel, you know, Yiddish adventure films. Yiddish adventure films? Uh, sure. And maybe we'll talk about that next time. I haven't seen any of those. Well, you know, you've got to polish up on your Yiddish first, but they exist. Um, um, and, uh, you know, I would put, to some degree, in terms of, you know, pure quality, I think the Jewish stuff lags behind uh, the Christian stuff with lags behind the general stuff. Um, I mean, uh, Radosh complains that the Christian stuff is just no good. The music is no good. The music is no good. So my experience with uh, Christian rock music um, is that it's much better than Jewish stuff, uh, in part because there's tens of millions of them and hundreds of thousands of us, so we don't have the multi-billion dollar Christian popular culture industry behind us. But um, uh, but he, you know, he talks about this experience of going to uh, Christian music festivals, Christian booksellers, um, uh, you know, Christian skateboard ministries. What's a skateboard ministry? Uh, a skateboard ministry is a group of um, uh, kids, Christian kids, involved in skateboarding and the whole subculture that that's associated with. And you'll have a minister who comes and preaches to them and tries to help them find ways of spreading what they want to spread through their skateboarding sub- subculture. Apparently, for, again, from what I've read, not an uncommon kind of thing. Um, so again, I, I think there. Are, here's an example where the Orthodox version is going to be similar but different. Yeah. We don't have Orthodox skateboarding ministries, not only because there aren't enough of us to do it. Um, I think there's also differences between how Judaism conceives of, of kedusha and the notion of mitzvot, and, and how the evangelicals that he described conceives of it. Um, but on the one hand, there's something similar. We can, ident- we can see some of their parallel universe in our parallel universe, and ways in which their parallel universe is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, Altogether, this discussion about the parallel universe, well, so it's true that our kids or, you know, 
you know, uh, American monorthodox Yeshiva day school kids. They are, at least with one foot in a parallel universe. But on the other hand, they may occupy the conventional, the mainstream American pop culture universe sometimes more than we more than we'd like to admit. And some of the work that you're doing now, currently here at Atit, focuses on this topic of uh, the consumption of popular culture by Orthodox kids. What, what, what are we looking at in that piece of research, and what do we expect? Well, at the moment, we don't, we don't directly have a research, um, precisely defined research proposal and project that we're specifically working on. But we are working with uh, a group of this year's Atit fellows to begin to explore questions of the influence of popular culture on Jewish education. Um, and we've begun uh, to start looking at ourselves from an ideological perspective. What do we think about leisure? What do we think, what do we think Judaism thinks about leisure, about, about entertainment? Um, things that on the one hand, it's hard to really separate them from contemporary life. On the other hand, it's hard not to feel a certain measure of ambivalence, um, not only about the um, not only about the particular products that tend to occupy leisure and entertainment in today's society, but even about the very notion that entertainment as such is important beyond a certain way of, of recharging the batteries. Um, and we're going to begin to look at um, uh, media literacy, which is a field in general education uh, that helps challenge kids to look critically at the media that they consume, to produce their own television commercials as a way of um, getting them to think through what it is that they're doing when they're watching a television commercial to make them more critical consumers, to look at the examples of Jewish pop culture and see to what extent it meets the standards that it ought to, to what extent it doesn't, um, to look at the attempt, which is much more alive here in Israel in religious Zionist circles than it is in North America, but the attempt to try to produce uh, um, what's called in the Christian world crossover. Um, uh, Jewish versions of general uh, popular culture that will appeal not only within the narrow enclave of, of you know, from religious, but also outside. Uh, you're, you're talking about this, uh, this television, kind of soap opera-y television uh, series. Yes, Rugin. Right, so that's an example, and it's one of the interesting ones where some of the paradoxes in that end up playing out, because you know the religious Zionist community has put enormous amounts of resources into into creating um, uh, departments of communications in yeshiva high schools and in developing advanced schools of filmmaking and television making and communication, so that religious Zionist uh, youth can grow up and have a voice. Uh, and not leave the voice of, of the media open to exclusively secular uh, people, which is perceived as being dangerous not only to religious Zionists, but to the country as a whole. And then all of a sudden... A political crisis. A uh, political crisis, a religious crisis. And then all of a sudden, one of the most successful graduates of this program produces a television program like Srugim, uh, which makes it... Let me just give a background for the listeners who don't know what that program is. Um, it's a television program about the single scene, the Jerusalem religious single scene, the so-called swamp. Um, uh, and it deals, the, the, the television program deals with the personal, um, sexual uh, lives of these, um, of these 20-something um, uh, and, and early 30-something 
um, sin goals in Yerushalayim and how they deal with religious issues, how they deal with interpersonal issues, uh, and it's been fairly successful. Uh, and it's the most successful example of crossover, one of the most successful examples of this kind of crossover, um, which the religious community has a lot invested in. But it turns out that a lot of the rabbis are dissatisfied with it because... Well, you're putting a model in, eh? Uh, some of the rabbis have prohibited watching it. Um, uh, they say it's not realistic, they say it's not fair to the religious community, that it's overly sexualized, that it doesn't pay uh, uh, a realistic portrait, that it's uh, vulgar. Um, so there's a little bit danger, kind of a Frankenstein. Well, I, I, hear, I hear from friends that work in law offices or in hospitals that the TV shows that are centered on those places also don't exactly get it, but that's what, that's what media is. Right, there's a little bit of a Frankenstein effect. You, you tr- kind of train somebody to go do X and you discover that they do X, but in their own terms. They're this monster you've created that has a will of its own and it's not going to listen to what you want. Um, so this whole, you know, this whole educational enterprise of let's give religious Zionist kids the skills not only to be good from lawyers or accountants, but to be good from playwrights, to be good from um, television producers, uh, to be good from artists, and to go out and have an effect on larger Israeli culture, uh, it's a mixed bag. It's not a simple thing. And Radars talks about that at length from the Christian side of things. Um, well, very interesting. Thank you for updating us on these, uh, on these unusual selections on your bookshelf. We, in future episodes, we may revisit uh, Yoel Finkelman's uh, bookshelf or his DVD collection. And we hope to be back in about a month with another edition of Atid's Jewish Educator Book Club.